Hello there, this is Russell Shaw with Life Transformed and John Maxwell team, and I want to talk to you today about problem solving from the inside out, because basically we all have problems. We all run into these things going all the time. And this is a free package that can, that is coming with your purchase of the 52-week program designed to help you be a better leader. And so as we think about that, we just need to realize the importance of that. We need to grow continually. And so we decide we do this year, year-long program, and each lesson stands on its own. And it's 52 weeks, obviously. we got three different people that's going to be doing training in it, so I think you'll really find it interesting. But those are the things you get from it. And basically, it's going to help you to be more effective in your life. It's going to help you to do some things that you've not done before. Because we all want to do more. We all want to be more. And it's also available now. And how do you get involved? All you have to do is click on the button below and say, yes, I'm interested. But as we think about problems and all everything that goes on, you know, it's just so important for us to, to realize what we need to do to solve them. And, and I thank you so much for joining me today. You know, some, some problems are small. They create a little bit of inconvenience in our lives and, and they don't require a lot of focus or a lot of thought or, or even a lot of attention. And then there's there other problems, right, that are really pretty big and they tend to require much more thought and greater amounts of our creative energy. As a matter of fact, they actually drain us emotionally. They can really kind of be all-consuming in our focus, our attention, simply because oftentimes, and, and I found this to be what goes on in my life, is the consequences of a problem are, are really high. And if they go on unresolved, they have a tendency to just get bigger and bigger. And eventually, they start creating a negative impact on almost everything I do. And the problem especially has this really negative outcome. And so now it's not just the problems that we have. It's the problems that sometimes affect our loved ones because we've allowed it to go unchecked and so it just gets worse and so when we have a problem the normal reaction of course is you know the desire to make the problem go away as quickly as possible and seemingly at any cost however as we resolve our problems and how to deal with our problems when we have them they can find into our lives that we are impacted in a lot of ways that, that really are disturbing for us. This is something that, that all of us experience, isn't it? We all suffer with problems. And we all have problems to experience. Most people suffer with them and most people struggle with them. And they don't have to, right? They never really know what to do or how to deal with them. We're not taught how to solve problems because whenever you went through school you know somebody was always solving them for us you know and so we learn how to solve math problems we learn how to take tests and take and solve those problems but it's like nobody really teaches us to solve the problems in our lives and if we were taught to solve them from the outside in right in other words the things that go on around us we may ask somebody to help us uh, we ask for advice, we seek knowledge, we get all these people to, to help us, but, but that strategy doesn't really serve us. 
And then, you know, on the short run it does, because, you know, we want to get rid of the problem as quick as possible anyway. But it doesn't really give a solution to the answer that's, that's long-term. It gives us that immediate fix, and it keeps coming back around. And so we don't gain any inner awareness from it either. And what I mean by that is, is we don't learn how to, find, how to find the solutions to the problems that can be done over and over again. Because you think about it, you know, the process to solve the thinking that created the problem in the first place. And a lot of times we just was poor thinkers. And so we've had to learn how to think better. And so we find ourselves right back in the same situation again, dealing with the same problem or something similar that's connected in our lives. And it's proverbial, oh my gosh, why does this keep happening to me? Why does this go on over and over again? And, you know, and I'm not sure who said it, but I've heard it said many times that whatever lies in front of us is the perfect curriculum for your growth. And so that includes the problems that we have. And it includes everything about that problem. The problems are there to assist us with our growth. And I know that's, that's hard medicine, but our growth needs these problems in order to grow. The idea of the content of your life is curriculum throughout our lives. It evolves. It's, it's always getting better. It's, it's, it's always good to be moving forward. And so in order for us to have content that's going to help us grow, sometimes what happens? Problems come along. And, and that's what we need. For if it was smooth sailing all the time, there wouldn't be any need for growth. Our problem service as a curriculum of evolution, meaning that the problems we face in our life are not the things that we should seek necessarily quick fixes for. You know, the quick patch, the duct tape, the super glue. You know, we like all these things that are really, really fast. We hate that glue where you got to put stuff together and hold it for, for 10 minutes, right? We want that super glue. You put it together and stick it. And, of course, if you're not careful, the next thing you know, you got your fingers stuck to it. So that's another problem all itself. But, you know, we keep going down the same road. It just keeps getting a little bit longer because we don't learn how to solve the problems. And I was thinking back, as I was thinking about this, it's like I, I remember whenever I was doing working in construction, and, you know, every now and then you would have the occasional flat tire, and so we generally kept a can of what you call fix-a-flat. I don't know if you've ever used it, but it's neat stuff because you can take and you shake the can and you put it on the stem of your tire and you blow it up, and it's got chemicals inside that goes to where the hole is and it plugs the hole up and so you can get on down the road the only problem is it's not a long-term fix it's good enough to work maybe a week two weeks maybe even a month or now once you drive your vehicle but it's basically made to get you through the day because you need to get it and get it fixed you need to get it that's a that's a outside fix because basically you're using an outside source to fix the tire, and then it seals itself. Well, the inside fix, of course, is you take it and you get the tire taken apart and you go inside the tire and you put the patch in there. And that's an inside fix that lasts so much longer and doesn't damage your tire. And so as we're thinking about these things, you know, we got to realize if we only look at short-term fixes, a lot of times we call them Band-Aid fixes, most times they don't really take care of the problem. We've got to take the time to pull the tire off and spend some time on it and, and put it together because 
it's only going to be for a short time that this <clears throat> is going to work. And so, if you think about it, also what's really bad about this this stuff on the tire is it can actually cause the tire to have more damage and it can even explode sometimes while driving down the highway. That doesn't sound good. So basically we've created a more dangerous and catastrophic problem by not fixing the problem to begin with. And I, and I love the word problem because the word problem when we when we go back to its origin in, in the Latin language it means to go forward. And that's what, what we need to do. In the Latin it's like the problem stands for let's move forward. It precedes a solution, right? You have to move forward in order to get to the solution. If you think about it, a problem to put forward also precedes our own personal growth. We could look at this and say that, you know, putting forth a problem is what is necessary for us to move forward into the land of solution. Therein lies the great understanding for all of us, a kind of learning model for problem solving. The starting point is to first recognize the purpose of the problem, right? The purpose of a problem is to call us forward from the various conditions and circumstances we've created, right? A lot of times we've created them and find ourselves in. I think it's interesting that a lot of times that even when we have a problem, we, we try to blame it on something else. But on the worksheets that you have, you've got actually some lines down there below there, this section, where it gives you an explanation of the problem. Einstein said this about problems. This is neat. He said, um, <clears throat> the significant problems we face in life can't be solved in the same level of thinking that created them. So we've got to have a new awareness. When, when you look at these, you, you, you've got to move problems into a new level of thinking. We need to go about how to solve these problems and to move up. And the way we move up, these are by, you know, you can either bang your head on against a problem until until all of a sudden something changes, or we can kind of climb up. And the problems, we really need them to grow. Because without problems, there would be no reason to grow, right? We wouldn't even be able to grow. So why would we? And so we need them. And I know that sounds kind of cruel to think, well, I, I really don't like problems, but you need them in order to really grow. And so I remember my Think and Grow Rich studies that someone uh, said, it's the times in our life when our back is right up against the wall. That's when we seem to be pushed or forced into a growth movement. We're, we're, we're going into this growth movement. You know, it's like necessity is the mother of creativity. Whenever we need to do this, we're like, whoa, I'm, I'm going to move forward. And this is so many times where you find your best work, where you find that, that creativity you need. I love what Gen, Gen, Genevieve, Genevieve Bernard said in her book, Your Invisible Power. She was the only known real student of Thomas Troward, who was a, a tremendous thinker. And she says that when our understanding grasps the power to visualize our heart's desire and hold it with our will, that we attract all things, get this, get this, we attract all things requisite for the fulfillment and the picture. And she doesn't say all good, right? She says all things. She didn't say all easy things, all fun things, you know, the productive things. She was intentional, very specific to say that you attract all things requisite. These requisite things can and very well be our problems. 
They come before, right? They precede us with a causative purpose. For us to match that causative energy by seeking, not a solution, but rather for us to become the solution. If we can become the solution, we begin to grow more. And, and there's a big difference here. And, and it really makes you think about being the solution. How can I be the solution? And so and now we got another word here, solution. And, and the Latin for that is the, the action of separating or breaking down, distilling the parts of a whole so we can gain an inner understanding of the problem that has come before us. So, we can seek the inner workings of its cause and to never be bothered by that type of problem again. Do you hear what I said? Inner workings. Problem solving is different than decision making, right? We get into that part of it too. Decision making will, of course, be part of the process, right? Of, that's going to take undertaken to solve the problem. But the word decision means that we cut it away. The word incision means to cut into, where the word decision means you cut away. We separate that which we do not want. And, of course, that means that we're keeping only that which serves us. So we enter into a problem solving it by beginning to enter into this new higher level of solution-based thinking where we begin to separate or break down or, and distill our thinking that has created the conditions conducive for the problem to exist in the first place. Then after we've given careful and thoughtful consideration, then we make a decision. That's when we make the cut of separation, removing the parts of our past old patterns, pathways of old thinking that don't really work for us. It's kind of a, of a neural network in the brain. I mean, our brain has these pathways, right, that no longer serve us in favor for a new level of thinking, a new mind with new pathways and new patterns. Whenever you, whenever you're reading the Bible, that's kind of what pa the Apostle Paul was talking about when he, when he said, you know, I've got to be born again with a, through a renewal of your mind. And it isn't just by having new thoughts that leads to the renewal, but it's by literally having new patterns, new pathways of thought structure created in the brain, the physical, the physical organ, not not you know not the thinking part of it, but the actual physical organ. Because you know in in the brain there's these chemical and electronic switching stations up there, right? And so we're talking about literally creating new pathways in the brain when we do this. I mean, it's it's these neural pathways when when we think about this pathway. It's a physical connection between different parts of the cells. These neurons and protons in you know, different parts which are connected in, in communication with synopsis. And I, I love it whenever we think about, you know, whenever we're working on something and working on something and all of a sudden it clicks, you know, we say, oh, I got it. I understand it now. That's whenever those neural pathways are really starting to develop that new line of thought in your brain. I mean, you, you've connected to a neural pathway that is now stronger. And so that's what happens. So the the, <clears throat> the more those certain neuron, neurons fire and communicate, the more that happens. Just like whenever we think, oh, all of a sudden the switch was on. And so these neural pathways become stronger and these habits, right? That's why habits are so hard to break because they have created these neural pathways. pathways. They literally have kind of make a trench of electrical circuits in there and, and this chemical circuit so that Behavior runs on that pathway. 
So when we cut away those old patterns, we literally are creating a new brain. In future lessons, you know, we're going to talk about this as, as if you get involved in the 52-week study. And we're going to begin to expand our teaching and take a look at understanding the mind or really exploring the mind and the connections that's there. And so I, I like this kind of work. I mean, I just love the, the, the way the mind works and the brain works and, and those type of things, you know. And so think about it. What has gotten us to where we are? I mean, it's been years of spiritual, intellectual, and physical aspects of, of our personality. And this is so key for problem solving as well. Because depending on where you identify depends on how you're going to solve the problem, doesn't it? If you see yourself as spiritual, then you're going to look at this in a way that you want to be inspired. You're going to use inspiration to solve the problem. If you're more intellectual, intellectual sorry about that, you're, you're thinking about using your thinking if you know and and how can i think through this if you see yourself as more animal physical then you know i'm going to force my i'm going to get through this you know i'm going to pound pound my way through this i mean i mean and that's what it is about being forceful but no matter how you do it you're more likely to force a solution to the problems but depending on where you identify depends on how you go about it. But still, in account, we still need to solve the problems. And, and it doesn't matter which one of those you use. Well, it may. But, but the thing about it is you want to create a new awareness that helps you solve the problem from the inside out, right? And so we need these problems to help us to grow. And, and we're going to find out that it, sometimes it takes a combination of all three of those in order to do it. So sometimes when you think how a person develops faith and just and use this kind of an example because the problems really help you grow spiritually in faith don't they sure they do i mean our faith grows whenever we see a problem solved i mean that's that's what's so neat about it. sometimes like forgiveness how do you learn forgiveness you need someone that you need to forgive you got to forgive them otherwise you can't develop it these things that our spirits need in order to grow and develop you know, many of the biblical teachings of day I lay, say, I lay before you both a blessing and a curse, right? There's many steps to the process and really kind of solving problems. Each are equally important and effective as the other, right? So this, this problem solving, each is very important. Our purpose is to work together in harmony. So we're going to take a look at some steps, these processes of what I call solution-based thinking that precede us, right? Proceed us in front of us and help us to make the final cut, the final decision to remove the old patterns and old structures of thought that no longer serve us, right? They don't longer, they, they're, they're old. And so as we take a look at, at this lesson, this is an exercise of awareness. It's not an exercise in judgment. I'm not judging you on, on how you make your problems, but it is an exercise in awareness that you can create a greater awareness for how to solve a problem. So as you begin to enter into this process of solution-based thinking, listen to that, solution-based thinking, and as you begin to see the parts and the patterns of your past thinking model that hasn't served you, or maybe you're not proud of, there's some things when we reflect back on our lives that may otherwise cause us to feel shame or cause us to feel embarrassed and you know and 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 I know I have done some things in my life that were really embarrassing 
I remember one time I practically shut down an entire plant because I turned off the wrong breaker. Luckily, luckily the day before we had put in all the emergency systems and nothing happened. Everything worked. But the, th the thing about it is, so we put in solutions so that so a dummy like me couldn't come along and do that. And so but we've got to think about what is it that we can do. I think we've all experienced these things as we look back. But as we get this higher level of awareness, and we wish, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that, right? Whenever we think about things we've done in our past. Or uh, I wish I hadn't sent that email, you know, just like the day that I did that. So I wish I hadn't turned, hit the wrong breaker. I wish I would have done things differently or not at all. We just want to kind of instantly release those judgments that we hold of ourselves by immediately entering into a state of awareness of gratitude. What is that you have to be grateful about? So in this state of awareness of gratitude, we find a new level of awareness. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad, man, our emergency systems worked. It's that like, yeehaw. And one of the engineers I was working with says, hey, it worked. I didn't know you wanted to test that. <laughs> he was just checking to make me feel good. But Sometimes the tests are scarier than the actual thing that's going, that you're going through. But, you know, what is that gratitude learning? You know, as you're thinking about it, you know, what are you thankful for? Are you on a new level of being grateful? You know, say, thank you, Father, for the new level I have that I can recognize, you know, that I'm a person in process. I'm growing, I'm expanding, and I'm going to look for ways for you to be born new in your mind. And so as we go through this, how can I be born new in my mind? How can you be more effective, more compassionate, more forgiving, better thinking? I mean, all these things. I think it's important to remember that everyone's kind of doing their best, aren't they? They want to do their best based on their current level of awareness. And as I look back on my life, and there's things that I did that I'm not proud of and I'm ashamed of, but I've always made the best decision that I could at that time. I, I like the story about Elizabeth Coleman. I, I put it on Facebook, you know, and she worked at Berg, Berghof, which was where Hitler's home, one of Hitler's, Hitler's home was in Bavaria. And she was 19 when she went there. And the reporter that was questioning her, I mean, she hadn't talked. I mean, she's, she's like 92 years old, very sharp lady. But she asked her, you know, if you could stop yourself, if, if you could just have yourself say to you just one minute before you decided to walk into Berghoff, what would you say? And she says, well, I don't know. She says, because you got to remember when Hitler first became, why did he become popular? Because everybody believed in him. They didn't, he would not have became the dictator he was if this like, oh, you know, this guy's nuts. He's crazy, you know. As she went through the interview, she says she found out I, he, he was crazy. She actually says that in her interview. But at the very beginning, that wasn't what people thought. They thought he was on the right track. And she says, oh my gosh, it was so neat to go into town to be known as, as the Berghoff ladies, you know. And she says, I made the best decision for what was going on at that time because everything was great and we was expecting it to be better. She says, I didn't find out all the things that really went on in my hometown until after the war. She says, yeah, I feel bad about what happened. But she says, I didn't know it was that bad. And so you see, a lot of times 
we make decisions based on what we know at that time. And so as we think about that level of awareness, just, just, like, just like Elizabeth Coleman, she's, she's like, I did what I thought was best. And so as you grow, as you look back, as you, as you think about these things, you know, you, you got to be kind. Be kind to yourself because, you know, when you think about it, so many times, you know, this learning and growing, making mistakes, you know, we, we bring this judgment upon ourselves. But, you know, we're going to make bad decisions. Our past is, is full of bad decisions and you, you make those and, and you learn from them and you grow We've got to remember that our that and our lessons that, that we went over before, as we'll hear more about this, is you got to remember to be kind to yourself. I think it's probably one of the most important lessons that to hear again and again and again is the fact that you need to be gentle and kind on yourself. And I, I know I shouldn't speak for other people, but but I know I say bad things to myself. I say some horrible things to myself sometimes. And and it's me just getting full of this emotion. And, and it's like as if life isn't isn't tough enough already. You know, I, I got to beat myself up. Like, you know, we're basically we're all perfect, imperfect human beings designed by God. We're all created in perfection, right? I mean, we're, we're perfect beings that God we're made an image, God, an image of God. And I always like to say, and then programming steps in with with this less than perfect programming. And, you know, and we get these learning models from other people and from mankind and realize and take some time to know how blessed we are. That, that, that we have the, these resources of financial, intellectual, emotional, cognitivity. And knowing that we can be in a place right now where we can focus and work these higher levels of awareness of your own becoming. You know, there's there's billion people around the world who are are sadly spending their time right now at a much lower level of awareness, and people who are struggling just to get the basic needs met. You know, food, water, shelter. They don't have all these things. You are blessed to be able to operate from the place of freedom that you're in right now. If you're able to listen to this, you are so blessed compared to billions of people all over the world allows you to explore and experience your life from the higher level of awareness, which is, is like a full spectrum of your life. You know, Maslow, whenever he taught the in, in, introduction of the hierarchy of needs of human beings, he saw Maslow, he saw the needs, and you, you have those needs on page six of your handout. And so as I went through this study, finding the meaning based on, on uh, Man's Search for Life, uh, it, or Search for Meaning. It was it was a tremendous study, and it's a book by Victor Frankl, and I highly recommend it. But we spend a lot of time going over Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you should take time to revisit this. You know, what needs do you have? What needs do you create in order to increase your awareness? Maslow taught in his work in, in, that he published back in 1943, and he said that people are motivated to achieve certain needs. And that some of those needs take precedence over others. I mean, really. And so, as you take a look at it, um, a lot of times whenever I, I take a look and, and study over the seven levels of awareness, you know, there's we have these five areas of our life that, that we're taking a look at, you know. And, and the spiritual and physical, most people think the spiritual comes first, but the truth is that, you know, it's really hard for somebody to get spiritual awareness when you're hungry, whenever you, whenever you haven't had enough to eat. And our, our most basic need is for physical survival, right? And if you can't reach that first, 
then you can't reach the spiritual. And that, that motivates our behavior. Once that's fulfilled, right, then you can move to that next level. And it movement motivates us and so on. There's, you know, psychological needs or physiological needs. And there are biological requirements. Human survival, you know, we got to have air and food and shelter and, and clothing and warmth, you know, because they're so important to our survival. You know, getting enough sleep. If these needs aren't satisfied, the human body just will not function optimally. And so as Maslow considered these, these physiological needs as being the most important, and so others are secondary. we got to have those physiological needs net. You know, the protection, the, the next, of course, is the safety need, protection from the elements, personal security, law and order, stability, freedom from fear. Then you go up to the need for, for love and belongingness, right? The physiological needs. And safety. I'm sorry, the psychological needs and the safety <laughs> that needs to be met. The third level of human brain, it brings us to the impersonal relationships and, and motivates behavior. Examples include friendship, intimacy, trust, acceptance, receiving, giving of affection, love, all these things. And once these are met, they can move to the fourth level. Where's our esteem? Maslow classified this into two categories, esteem for oneself and my kind of personal self-regard. You know, the dignity, my, my level of achievement, mastery of myself. And the second part of that is the desire for our own personal kind of reputation. You know, what, what's my reputation like? You know, where is it that I stand here? And those type of things. Maslow indicated that we need for respect and reputation is most important for children and adolescents. And it precedes real self-esteem of, of dignity. Or dignity, I'm sorry. And so why, this explains why so many adults are, are held back by the limited concerns of what people think. It's an old programming. This old programming. What does other people think of me, you know? Then, of course, the highest level is called self-actualization. Realizing our full potential. Seeking our fulfillment. Seeking personal growth. You know, going, making peak experiences that is desire, you know, to become the best that we can be. They're seeking out our fullest expression, our full potential. And so, perhaps the lack of awareness to overcome those lower levels is what keeps us from becoming what we need to be in those higher levels. You know, we've got this God-given potential and living into the birthright and dominion over all things. All things. Sadly, in our world today, we have billions of people on a planet struggling just for mere survival. Whether the cause is political rep repression uh, as the regimes in North Korea and things that's taking place in Latin America and other places around the world or because of the scars from a childhood trauma. And, you know, maybe it's due to... Just ignorance or a lack of awareness. Because they've not made the investment in themselves to have someone in their lives serve as a mentor. Or witness against their own inner voice or self-judgment. It doesn't matter what the cause is or the results are the, or the results are the same. It's living from a life of default rather than a life of design. So we want to design a life. So, so let's get into the five steps. I know we've spent a lot of time here just working up to them. But these are so important. And so these are the five steps for solution-based thinking. Remember, solution-based thinking. And so whenever you start anything new, you got to start simple, start small, and then learn the process. And as you gain understanding of the five steps in this process, and you begin to tackle larger problems and more complex situations. So 
it's like anything. Whenever I learned martial arts, you know, I had to learn some really basic things. I had to learn how to make a fist. It's like you realize that if you make a f your fist incorrectly, you can you can break fingers and stuff. And your thumb, a lot of times whenever we make a fist, we leave the thumb out there in the way. And, and it can get hung up on stuff. But, but, you know, and then, of course, then you had to learn the movements and all these things and how to kick and stand on one leg and, and all of these things. But the thing about it is anytime we're learning something, it starts with the very basics. How do I make a fist? Where do I put my feet? Then I start adding things to it. And so the first one, as we get into problem solving, is to write out the exact problem. Write out the problem that you have in as much detail as possible. And so as you write out the problem, include all the attachments, right? All these things that string along with it. The attachments we have to it, the thought is really the problem. That's where the, that's where the problem solving comes in. So we have a problem. When we start thinking about the problems, we become attached to it. And we, the attachments of emotions and feelings, and these are the things that really are from our past. They are part of our belief system. And, and we have our current feelings, and that's okay. And, and we can also project feelings and anticipated feelings. And, and these are often projected by our imagination or attachments of our imagination. You know, and, and that's regarding how we assign meaning to a problem. I, th I think all of us can remember when we were younger, maybe you made a mistake. And we assigned some type of a meaning to what the consequences would be because of that mistake. I remember whenever I was in high school and, and I wrecked my brother's car. Oh my gosh, it's the worst day of my life. I just knew my brother was going to kill me, and he probably felt like it. And but he he probably the only reason he didn't is because you know then he's thinking, what are mom and dad going to say if I kill my brother? <laughs> but you know, but we have attachments to things whenever we do them wrong. You know, we fail the test. Oh, what's mom and dad going to say? And and whatever it is that you're attached to it. That's part of the problem. And so our own self-judgment about who we are in relationship to what we think is what keeps us from moving forward. And always think, oh, I'm just a horrible person. I'm a loser. I never, I never amount to anything. Oh, man, I can't believe I screwed this up. Man, I just, I, I just can't do things right. So the first step to accomplish some very important things is writing out the problem and writing out all the attachments. And, and this allows you to see the problem as separate from yourself. I mean, writing it out, you, you're, you're bringing it out from yourself. And this process is known as separating our being from our behavior, right? We want to get that out of from us. And I think that's really powerful. It's, it's a great exercise there, but just, just to think about that. Separating yourself from the cause that's so easy for you to get caught up. Because my thinking, my thoughts are me, right? My feelings are what's me. What I believe is who I am, or what I do is who I am. But it's, it's really not. And even more so, the problems that, get, that we get so caught up in. Separating the behavior from the being is really powerful. I think just, just the awareness to see it that way is very enabling. So it's going to enable you to really move past that. So you write it out. You separate yourself from it. And, and, it's, and then it gets easier because you're starting to do this. You're starting to see the, the problem from an entirely different perspective. And, you know, that's what's so important. By writing it out, we create a new awareness. It causes us to otherwise just associate the problem or 
with the actions or the thinking or the feeling, and you don't get the dissociation that you do when you write it down. And so, but you can't fix what you don't know is broken. And so this helps you to see what's broken. In, in the Buddhist religion, it tells that uh, attachment is the source of all suffering. Not only do we have a problem, we have our thinking. And then we assign meaning to it. And then we attach meaning to that. And we become attached to all of it. Now, we've really magnified it. And so the, the thing about it is, the second part of this is that it gives us perspective. To problem solving where we may be adding a story you know problem solving what kind of story we're we adding we don't, we don't want to be making stuff up when we don't write that down it also allows us when we write it all out it allows us to see that what our thinking is this is so important to see what your thinking is what is the model this means that <clears throat> because we do that all the time which certainly doesn't serve us. And so we want to bring it out so that we can see that model. We say this whenever uh, this means that, right? I mean, that's that's one of those words that we use that because we, we said, but is it true? It's not always that. I mean, that's what's really bad with this meaning that this is that is unlikely true. We make it more untrue because we attach ourselves to that position, that and that means, you know, whenever we say, oh, well, this means that, to someone other than ourselves who doesn't have all those other attachments. We were created to the problem. And they would likely disagree. Maybe they would push back on your assumption of this means that. And, you know, and you've got to figure out, you know, whenever you're going through that, what is, what is, your, what is my this means that saying? You know, remember, as we go through these lessons, you know, that you got to realize where's the attachment? What is the source of my suffering? Once we've created a clear written description of the problem and our thinking around it, we're now ready to move into a solution-based thinking. So the solution-based thinking requires that we separate the parts. You're writing them down. You're separating the parts of the problem. If this is a problem, then these are my attachments. And these are the meanings that I've created around them to distill them down to its purest state. Again, we remove all the assumptions, remove the stories, remove the rejections, remove the false outcomes, all of that. Because they just get in the way of the problem solving. What are some of those parts that you're talking about removing it from? I want you to consider that some of the questions that we may ask are these. Have I added to the problem by adding these emotions? Is your emotions getting in the way of the problem? In certain areas, depending on what the problem is, let's say the problem is a financial one. Well, and often it is, you know that, okay. So now, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about, what, well, I'm, I'm in financial stress here. Am I going to lose the house? Uh, what, what, if, oh, what if I get sick during this time? You know, Where am I going to get the money to buy the medicine or pay the medical bills and and oh, I'm, but I'm losing my house, and and then all of a sudden, oh no! And what about the kids' college fund? They're only three years old, but you know I gotta think about that. And so, so many times we we magnify the problem because we don't put it in these layers. And so we lay it out on all these layers. What are the financial parts? What are the emotional parts? What are the spiritual parts? What are the physical parts? 
what are the immediate needs, right? What are the immediate needs versus those that are less urgent? So many times we, we forget about the immediate needs. So the first step in solution-based thinking, we're in the solution-based thinking now, is separating the different parts of the problem. It allows us to tackle the problem from multiple angles. So you can take all those and, and take a look at it and figure out which one's going to work. It allows us to access the awareness we have, the resourcefulness within us. And these are things that could be more available and have more resources and more of our potential availability to us in any of these areas. So let's move forward. It allows us to put all our concentrated thought and all our resourcefulness into one area at a time thinking on the problem in smaller chunks. You got that, smaller chunks. That's so important. So as we look at these, so it's the proverbial, how do you eat an elephant? Well, we all know the answer is, right, eat an elephant one spoonful at a time. And so you're going to write down the problems. You're going to separate all the components, right, that are covered with it, the financial, spiritual, relationships, all those pieces. What are the stories that you're making up, right? All the projections. You're separating yourself from the problem, having different perspective at the first step. Then, what you want to do is you want to look at what you've written down. Your understanding of the problem objectively without the attachments. And we want to draw from our past experiences and resourcefulness of creativity. Remember, you are a creative being. You have a resourcefulness of creativity. We are much more powerful and resourceful than we think. And we give ourselves credit for. You got that? You're so much resourceful than you think and what you give yourself credit for. This is especially true when you're facing a problem. I think we'd remind ourselves of that over and over again. You know, I am so much more resourceful. There's greatness in us. And so you have infinite potential within us, within you. It's so easy to identify with a problem or what's going wrong and not identify with the spiritual side of us then that creativity is there for us to acknowledge and tap into if we tap into that spiritual side. It's there 100% evenly present at all times and in all places. And we tend to make the problem much larger and much more powerful than it is. We also tend to make ourselves much weaker and more limited than we really are. That's, that's so bad. What problems have you solved in the past? That's a good question to ask. Make a list of the times that you've overcame a challenge or a problem. Really allow yourself to go back to a time and think of times that, that you managed and you persevered. Maybe there was a time when you were short on rent. Maybe there's a time you needed to make a car payment. Maybe there's a time that you didn't have the money you needed for something. Or maybe you messed up on a, an important deadline or you... Failed to prepare an assignment, or you know, had to pull something together. I mean, all these things. And I think if we did that, we'd be amazed at how many problems that we've actually solved in our life. Because you know, at first blush, we thought, well, you know, I've not really solved any problems. But as we think back, and you know, and then we realize, oh my gosh, you know, whenever I was really good at solving a problem, it's when my back was against the wall, and that's when I really stood the tallest. And that's whenever I saw the resources that were available to me. 
Doing this step serves, serves to remind us that we are empowered. That we are and can be natural problem solvers. In fact, our problem solving capacity that has allowed us to evolve to the top of the food chain, if you really think about it. We stand no chance of solving problems when our starting belief is that we lack the resourcefulness within ourselves. we got to believe. This goes back to the myth of risk. You know, people, oh, you know, we can't take no risk. And so this is, this is a lesson that we'll probably get in these, uh, <clears throat> in these 52 weeks. And you perceive yourself as, as, you know, taking risk, lack of awareness, resourcefulness. And when we see that, you know, if we feel like we lack the resourcefulness, then, then it makes it harder to think through and solve the problem. The starting point must be belief. And it must be belief that is based on understanding. And so as you learn more, as you get that a better understanding. And that's understanding that it would be possible to have an awareness of a problem without being able to have a solution. We've always got the solution if we have the awareness. Those two have to go together. If we can clearly define the problem, then we know that there is a part of us that can clearly define the solution. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. And our challenge is how do we access that part of us? How do we do that solution-based problem solving? You would not be able to have an awareness of the problem if there wasn't at least somewhere within you an awareness of the solution in equal measure. Once we define the problem and we have all of our attachments, right, and all of our projections distilled down to the facts, right, get down to the facts, and we made a list of all the past problems, those that we've overcome, and what we want to do, we're getting ready to move into the third step. And that's just, it's, which is kind of identify what those resources that we use to solve the problems that we listed in number two. So we identify some of the resources. And I can tell you, I, I did not get where I am at, you know, and if you're listening to this, you did not get where you are about, without overcoming problems. You know, whenever I was in my 20s, you know, when I was in the military, you know, I was starting out, you know, struggling to make ends meet. Here I was married, had a wife, trying to get everything done, you know, and, and, and doing things to make extra money. And so, and it got easier, you know, as you may drink. I'd forgotten, you know, that I need to be kind to myself. Because as... You know, whenever you're young, you can be very hard on yourself. And so, what resources do I have? How did I overcome these problems? How did we overcome the times when we thought, oh, we're never going to get out of this. You know, this ain't going to work out. We're not able to do that. You know, but as you think about those times when your back was against the wall, what was the resources you had? What action steps did you take? What ideas of creativity did you come up with as you were solving that problem? Because you're going to find that success really does leave clues. And what I mean by that is, the things you did in your past leave clues to how to do it better in the future. And so, you know, we're looking at kind of tweezering this out, you know, parts of our lives, our past learning models of achievement. And, you know, all these things are tweezering out these little things that help us to grow. And so our learning models of achievement are based on our beliefs and they're based on our level of awareness. They're based on the principles within that model. You know, we can go back and separate those out. We can separate them and distill them down to the parts of the whole so that we can see them more clearly. Whenever we think back or describe 
to another person how we achieve some success or, or solve some kind of problem in our life, oftentimes we say, well, I just did this or I just did that. Because we, we, we gloss over so many things that we did with the word just. You know, but it, there's so much more to it. And, and the, the thing about it is, is the word just kind of leave clues. You know, my friend Paul, uh, whenever he started his business, he's, they, he had, many times they ask him, how did you start your first business, Paul? How did you go from a high school dropout to building a, a successful cleaning business? He says, so, well, you know, I, I just bought a, a vacuum cleaner and I bought some cleaning supplies. And then, and then I went door to door and cleaned offices at night. But, and so he takes that apart and he starts doing it. And then he realized, you know, he didn't just buy a vacuum cleaner. You know, he did some things along with that. Like I said, I went door to door. And so he, he created this working habit that helped him to grow. And he used his resourcefulness. He used these ideas. He used the creative thinking and strategies that he'd been building all his life. And, and he built on those. And then he realized that, that he didn't just buy a vacuum cleaner. He also learned to save his money. He also learned the importance of everything he did. So all these things, he budgeted his money, he based his time, he did all these things in order to do it. He started putting his energy toward all these things that he needed to do. Because as Emerson said, where your focus goes, your energy flows. Even before he had the money, he could, he could uh, check out the prices for everything. And so he did a lot of things. And, and number four is you, you have to write it down a middle model of perfection. What does the perfection look like? You need to figure out when you think of the problem, you know, what does perfection look like? How do I solve this? What what does the problem look like when it's solved? I mean, you know, you know, this is this is thinking into to the future and this is so important. And so how do you do that? And so we get this mental model of perfection of claiming what it is we want to create and we create this in our lives. And and then it's really no longer a problem. Because what the, is the future positive that we're going to move into? Sometimes, you know, just the definition of this helps us understand. Because we've got this destination we're moving toward. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the training, the things that we do, and as we move forward, we, we've been on journeys before and found ourselves lost. And what did we do to find ourselves back into where we needed to be? Maybe you pulled them out of the map and you got a clear direction of where you was going or Maybe somebody gave you instructions or directions that was very clear. But, you know, sometimes just seeing it, maybe maybe you were at a point where you could see what it is you wanted to look at. And so by seeing it, you say, oh, yeah, that's real. You know, if it's the tallest building in town, you say, oh, there's, okay, that's the building I want. But it sharpens our perception. It strengthens our will. We, our focus gets so much more committed whenever whenever we have these fu these future memories because we can unlock these, these new and old memories of our past and future achievements. And this is a powerful process. You know, we have these six intellectual properties that help us to move forward and, and solve problems. And yes, we can we can do those things because we can have future memories, but you've got to build them. And that's one of the things that we'll do. I, I, you know, in the Think and Grow Rich study, you know, that's one of the things that we work on is how to create memories of the future. And this mental model perfection is found that it's so strong for us. And then the last step, step five, is the process of trusting yourself. Just trusting and having faith in yourself. Trusting yourself and the process that, you know, you can do this. When we trust ourselves, you know, it activates our faith. You know, faith is a strong belief in someone or something without logical proof. That's what faith is. It's probably faith at its best 
simple definition, right? A strong belief in someone or something that we don't have logical proof of. But, but trust, you know, trust is different than faith. Trust is when we have a firm reliance on the character, integrity of, of others and of ourselves. Trust is, is kind of internal, right? We, we have a firm reliance on me, on my character, on my guy. You know, I know who I am. I know what I stand for. I know what I'm about. And when we think about trust, it's different than faith. And how can you ever develop a true faith when there's no logical proof if you don't trust? See how important that is? You have to trust in yourself to be able to spot that. You have to say that I trust myself. And so whenever you're saying this, you know, you got to trust that connection with the source, which where all ideas come from. When you, when you get this idea, you know, it comes in here, boop, oh my gosh, here's an idea, this intuitive knowing trust to solve our problems, to trust the source. I mean, you got to trust the source from which the idea comes from. Trust is the ability to discern the ideas and messages that come into us. I, th I think it's really important that we understand the difference between faith and trust. And trust will act that activate faith. And so as you're moving forward, you know, we feed our, our minds with different memories, you know, and, and we worry about things. And, and you know, I, I like the idea that somebody said, you know, worrying, worrying is like bubble gum for the mind, you know. Here it is, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't achieve anything. You're all about going and stuck going around and around, you know, just chewing this, chewing this up, but, but nothing ever comes from it. And so, you know, we've got to feed our memory with good things. We've got to be not worried about the future. And I love what Einstein was saying about significant problems. He says, you know, we've got to get out of the, that level of thinking to move on. Why are the negative emotions such a problem? And so you have to think about, as you trust, I'm thinking, you know, well, you've got to trust. The energy of motion feeds the thinking the thinking is, is like a justification for the emotion. It's, it's actually the emotion that's the problem. The emotion is what gets in our way sometimes. That's kind of feeding and thinking. We're stuck in this cycle. And if we reach out and ask God for help, right, we were trying to, to get in contact with that spiritual side or our spiritual self. And it can't get in because we're on this roundabout, right? You know, in the highways, you know, you got these roads that go round and round, these roundabouts. And so here you are. You're stuck on the roundabout. And, you know, and you can't find your way off. And you've got this inner thoughts, these things that's going on, you know, and, and we surrender to so many things. You know, we, we surrender the anger or we surrender the guilt or surrender the shame or the fear. And you've got to surrender these things. You've just, saying trust is we need to trust ourselves. We need to trust ourselves to let go of the fear to step forward into growth. And so the energy from this emotion subsides. You know, our thinking comes from the emotion stops, and then and then there's room for our creative spirits to be free. But we've got to get past them. You have to trust yourself. One of the ways that we trust ourselves that I've learned to trust yourself is I, I teach this is to stop believing in accidents, stop believing in coincidences, stop trusting that God is communicating with you. You've got to believe that God is communicating with you. Start trusting that. Stop claiming that there's a place called out of the blue and these type of things. Trust what He hears because God hears our prayers. He hears our communication. Everything that, that goes on. 
He understands our anxiety. He understands our uncertainty. And all these places, sadly, most of us, you know, whenever God's speaking to us, you know, the, the, this thing comes along and, you know, we'll ask God, you know, oh, how do I solve this problem? You know, and, and what happens is, you know, all of a sudden we get an answer and we look up and say, are you sure? Because what happens, you know, this idea comes from God and it's from a place outside of us. It's so much bigger than we are. This, the, we're trying to, to solve the problem with our own thinking whenever we're having to solve it with the idea of what God's given to us. And so this is so much bigger. And so we've got to realize that in order to solve it, we've got to allow that thinking to come to us. And because we don't create distance from God because he doesn't move. He's right where he's always at. And so we have to not allow worry and anxiety and all these things and the current conditions to keep us from moving forward. People surrender with what's unfamiliar to them all the time. I mean, it's just that's just the thing that we do. We love staying familiar even when it's uncomfortable. And so a lot of times that's where our problems stem from. And so as you're thinking about what you need to do, you know, start with small things at first and, and then start moving forward. What can I do different? How can I be better at this you know trust can never and should never be earned i i really don't know you know that that you can do that i mean you mean you know it can be lost it can be built it can be rebuilt but but it's never earned you know once it's given you know it doesn't it, it, it can grow but you have to give it first imagine having a life you know you're broadcasting this this vibration you know to the universe you know well you know i i, I just don't trust anybody yet and so as you're moving forward, think about the things that you want to do. Think about how you want to become the person that is, pro that is solving problems. You know, because we've got to trust ourselves. You know, and we think about, well, should I grant you trust? And just imagine, you know, God would look up and just say, hey, sorry, Russell, you know, I can't trust you. You haven't earned it yet. I mean, you know, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And most people who say, you know, well, you're going to earn my trust, these are people who claim to believe that they can't earn their way into heaven you know but they require people to do the same you know it's just crazy and so there make sure that you are doing the things that's going to help you to grow make sure you're doing the things that's going to be with you it's so important to trust yourself make sure that you understand the value of trust and to live a life that says i trust you so as you're putting this together remember we got this 52 week study to help you with problem solving from the inside out. And we've got this study that uh, it's a dollar a day for 52 weeks. So if you're interested, uh, there's a, there'll be a link that you can click on to get to this. And ladies and gentlemen, I am so glad that you listened to this on problem solving. And I hope it helps you. I hope it helps you to create a clearer idea on how you can be a problem solver and solve the problems in your life. Thank you so much. And sign up, we'd love to have you there to be with us as we go through this study.